to the ACR Bulletin Podcast, the show where we examine the latest trends affecting radiology. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today we'll be speaking with Sonia Bollet, MD. Dr. Bollet is Director and Physician Lead of Ambulatory Breast Radiology and Assistant Professor of Radiology at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Since October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we thought we'd invite Dr. Bollet onto the show to discuss the importance of breast imaging in general, and also how she's worked to help women get screened at an ambulatory breast imaging center at Northwestern. Dr. Bollet, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Chris. Absolutely. We're so we're so delighted to have you. Well, to help or, orient our audience to the importance of, of breast cancer screening, um, let's start off, if you would, uh, with some facts about mam- mammography. And at your suggestion, which I thought was really good, um, we'll do the first part as a list of true-false questions. Uh, are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Um, let's say a person gets a call back from their screening mammogram. Uh, this means that there's a high chance they have breast cancer. True or false? This is false. So there's so much anxiety that goes around and happens when someone gets called back from a screening mammogram. And I'm sure a lot of the radiologists that might be listening who may not be breast imagers get questions about this from their friends and family all the time because people get so worried when they get called back. But getting called back from a screening mammogram does not mean that you have breast cancer. And in fact, the majority of the times people just have breast tissue. So it's just normal overlapping breast tissue or normal findings. So about 10 to 15% of patients will be called back from a screening mammogram, but over 95% of those will go home with normal results. Thank you for clarifying that. I'm sure that Mm -hmm. that is quite confusing to some people. Um, A person's mammogram says they have a mass. Statistically, most masses are benign, true or false? This is true. So people, again, get so anxious when they see the word mass on their screening mammogram report. And although the word mass has a negative connotation, the vast majority of masses in our breasts are benign. So most of them are caused by cysts, which are bags of water, or fibroadenomas, which are benign masses that form in our breast. Sometimes we can't call that on the mammogram, and we need an ultrasound to help us evaluate exactly what it is. Um, So the ultrasound can kind of help us determine what kind of benign mass it is. Sometimes we have to follow them closely in a few months. And some masses need biopsies to know really for sure, but the vast majority of masses are benign. Interesting. Okay. That's good food for thought for everyone Mm -hmm. out there. Um, uh, Third question. A person's breasts are dense. This means their mammogram is useless and they can do an ultrasound instead. True or false? So this is false. And Chris, I cannot tell you how many patients try and get out of their mammograms because they're so worried about the compression and getting a mammogram. No one loves a mammogram. So, but you have to get it. It's the only thing that's been proven to save lives. Um, annual mammograms starting at 40. So the um, breast density refers to the amount of fibroglandular tissue to fat in the breast tissue. And there are really four categories that we use in our reports. So fatty breast tissue, um, scattered t- breast tissue, which is a little bit of scattered fibroglandular tissue, that's about 40% of our patients, Um, heterogeneously dense breast tissue, again, 40% of our patients, and then extremely dense breast tissue, which is 10%. And breast density on a mammogram shows up as white tissue. So we're looking for white masses and white calcifications. And you can see how in a background of white tissue, those white findings could be masked. But the earliest form of breast cancer, which are calcifications, can only be seen on mammograms. So mammograms are absolutely necessary every year starting at 40. If you do have dense breast tissue, you can actually talk to your doctor about adding in supplemental screening with ultrasound or MRI. But these are always done in addition to mammogram and never in lieu of a mammogram. Okay, next question. Someone doesn't have a family history of breast cancer and is therefore not at risk. True or false? 
This is false. So Chris, the greatest risk of having breast cancer are having breast and getting older. Um, and in fact, 75% of our patients do not have a family history of breast cancer. So it's really important to remember that every patient needs a screening mammogram at 40. And if we only screen those patients that had risk factors, we'd be missing the vast majority of our patients who are eventually going to be diagnosed with breast cancer. Interesting. Yeah. I suppose nobody has a family history until someone gets it, unfortunately. So that's an right, interesting exactly. way to think about it. Exactly. Well, let's the last of our true false questions. Here we go. One in eight women will get breast cancer. True or false? So unfortunately, this is true. About one in eight women or 12.5% of women in the United States will be diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and I think it's really important to remember all those alarming statistic. There are millions of survivors in the United States at this time, which is great to hear. So, um, you know, sometimes people have specific risk factors such as their family history, genetic mutations, even race and ethnicity can uh, play a role in your risk factors for breast cancer. So it's important if you think you might be at a higher risk of breast cancer to talk to your doctor to see if you might need annual screening before 40. And some patients even qualify for risk assessment by the age of 30. Excellent. Well, thanks for that. Um, mm -hmm. In the past, you've now we're out of our lightning round of true false questions. And yeah. so maybe we can delve a little deeper into some of these. So in the Sounds past, good. you've you, <laughs> in the past, you've mentioned that mammography uh, screening should be considered a health maintenance exam in, in past conversations we've had. Um, I was wondering, that's so interesting to me to frame it that way. Can you please explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so Chris, I think a health maintenance exam is really something that uh, your primary care physician orders uh, for routine testing and really to help with prevention and early intervention. So an example that's not radiology would be checking your cholesterol. Your primary care physician is going to check your cholesterol to see if it might be high, which might put you in elevated risk of heart disease or heart attack before you have any symptoms of a heart attack. And that's really the same idea of screening mammograms. So we really are trying to catch things before they're symptomatic. So before you can feel things, before you have skin changes, before any changes are happening that you can clinically see or feel in your breast, we're trying to catch these cancers on mammograms. And that's catching them at the smallest uh, size possible. Um, and so we can really get in there and do early intervention. As we just talked about since the 1990s, that's really when screening mammograms came in as a health maintenance examination. And we really did see that rate of death uh, from breast cancer decrease about 30%. So we really can make a tremendous difference by using this as a health maintenance screening examination starting at 40. Very interesting. Uh, it's always help, helpful to have a little bit of a historical basis. So thank you for providing yeah. that. Yeah, well, I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to shift gears now and discuss, you know, we've been talking kind of at a high level about uh, breast uh, imaging and and uh, on breast cancer, but I was wondering, I'd like to shift gears and talk a little bit more about your personal experience with breast imaging uh, for a minute. Yeah. And I know just last year, you helped open the, the first pilot ambulatory breast imaging center at Northwestern, like we alluded to off the top of the show. And and it's basically considered, as I understand it, a boutique imaging center, which for me, that's, that's a new concept. So that's so interesting. Um, can you please provide some background as to the center and, and how it came about? And also maybe discuss how others who may be listening right now would, uh, should go about establishing similar programs if they find themselves in a similar set of circumstances. 
Yeah. So Chris, this has been such an exciting process for myself and my team. And I really have to stop and do a shout out to my incredible team um, because they really made this happen. So we opened the center um, in Evanston, which is the university's hometown, Evanston, Illinois. It's north of the city. And we opened it to really bring academic medicine, so that academic medicine you get from a big university setting to your backyard. So the same state-of-the-art uh, facility, um, high technology, fellowship-trained breast radiologists, and excellent staff to a smaller center. So to me, when I think about a boutique or concierge practice, I really think it revolves around the patient. So really patient-centric care, centered care, putting the patient first and allowing them to contribute to shared decision-making uh, so they can be their own advocates. And as breast imagers, we really are in a unique position as radiologists to do this. So as we talked about, we help patients with their screening mammograms, but we also see them in a clinic setting, a diagnostic setting. We do their diagnoses, their biopsies. We give them the results of their breast cancer diagnoses sometimes, um, oftentimes, um, and we really are seeing them in their surveillance afterwards. So we have an, a unique opportunity to create relationships with our patients, that, an ongoing relationship with our patients that many aspects of radiology don't get to do. Um, and so I think, you know, my team tried to bring that to our breast imaging center. So we do a lot of patient education. We sit, we look at imaging with the patients. We involve them in their care. We are able to create personalized screening protocols based on their family history or their breast density. Um, I think something that's really special in our center is we have a patient liaison for every patient. So um, diagnostic appointments you may or may not know can take up to two to three hours sometimes and patients are very nervous during that. So we have a patient liaison that's always checking in on our patients, offering them snacks and green tea and just really making sure that they feel like they aren't for gotten and they have a constant point of contact along the way. Um, biopsies can be really, really scary for patients. So we try and decrease that anxiety by creating a special environment during the biopsy. So we spray eucalyptus or lavender to calm uh, the patient. We offer eye masks and music. We have conversations with the patient because oftentimes we're the ones doing the diagnostics. So we know these patients. And so we continue that conversation at the time of the biopsy to really help decrease that anxiety and have a good overall patient experience. So interesting. So I, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I, my, so many questions are presenting themselves. I'll try to, I'll try to be brief, but um, so, so you say, I just love those little touches. Like, you know, you're you, well, and, and I'm saying this in the mindset of there's so many, I could, I could, you know, see the counterpoint of this, which is, oh, it's all well and good, but that's, you know, that's a well-funded academic institution. I work, you know, I work at maybe a, a smaller, you know, you know, uh, imaging clinic or something like that that's not affiliated with a university maybe we don't have the most funding in the world and so like i always like to try to scale these ideas mm -hmm. uh, in in all different directions so so for someone who maybe is is very intrigued as i am uh, at your approach here um how how would you say uh maybe what are some first couple steps to doing yeah. to, to, to doing sure. something just to yeah. you know did, i don't know did you invite the patients in to, to the to, to, to help you tailor some of this? Because that sounds very, uh, yeah, so really no, insightful I mean, things that you've done. Yeah, we kind of just came up with it together as our team. And we're just getting patient feedback back now because we oh, haven't good. even opened a year. Oh, um, and we've been getting great feedback. So I'm so excited. So all, a lot of these things actually are very easy. So the eye masks can simply be a washcloth that all breast centers have that's folded in three, which is actually what we use. So I say eye mask, but it's not a fancy eye mask. It's just a nice little um, a cloth that's just enfolded in three and placed over the patient's eye. Um, you know, you can get very cheap sprays that you can spray on the mask or put into the room. Um, uh, and, and honestly, a lot of it's just communication, which doesn't cost anything. A lot of it's go. just 
looking face-to-face with the patient, eye contact, checking in on them. Just, you know, when you're walking down the hallway, pop your head into the waiting room and say, Hey, are you guys okay? We haven't forgotten about you. Uh So, so much of it, I think is this, that human interaction, um, which I think after COVID we've missed so much, you know, and I think all of us, we're seeing all these studies that people really need human interaction. And I think a lot of these you can do and make people feel like they're in a boutique concierge practice, um, just by saying hi and checking on them. Absolutely. That's such so, so good. And I, I, you know, uh, just for, for, you know, just, just to be, uh, you know, f- uh, upfront, I, I work on the PFCC uh, commission at ACR, patient family center care commission. And that's really the, the core of that, mm-hmm. that uh, mission is, it's just that, that personal touch. So I'm, I'm so intrigued yeah. and, and uh, hopefully we can, uh, you know, by towards the end of our talk, we can um, uh, point our listeners to, to some, some really great patient centered, uh, resources yeah. so they can continue their it. education. Well, you shared with me, um, this is so interesting, staying on that, the more personal side of things, you shared with me a really interesting anecdote about how you recently found it challenging to find time for to get your own mammogram, even though you lead a breast breast center, which I thought was very interesting. So can you please talk a little bit about that? And and even somebody who who is an expert like you even sometimes finds those challenges. Yeah, absolutely. It's an ironic statement to say as a breast imager that I didn't have time for my own no, mammogram. No, no. But I think it really is this oxygen mask, putting our oxygen mask first analogy that people use. Um, you know, every time we get on an airplane, we hear them say that. And sometimes you're rolling your eye, but I think it's a great reminder that we do have to put ourselves first. We cannot take care of other people. We cannot take care of our team. We cannot take care of everything that needs to go on at home unless we're taking care of ourselves. And so that, you know, my mammogram, I, you know, I was giving that to you as an example, but it really, it really applies to all aspects of our life. So whether that's our primary care appointments or going for a run or a walk, or just taking the time out to check in on yourself to make Mm -hmm. sure, do I need five minutes of meditation? Do I need to stretch? You know, do I need water? All these things that we take for granted. We just, a lot of times I think I'll go through a whole day and I'm like, I didn't drink a sip of water all day. So just taking those moments to check in on ourselves is so important. Um, You know, the ACR does have Twitter challenges that are really incredible. So um, the Twitter challenges were started um, and they're now turning more into Twitter uh, uh, wellness tips um, that you can check out. It's hashtag be well with the ACR. And Chris, I can give you more information that you can share to listeners later, but you can check in on that. It gives you five minute tips on what you can do during your work day to take a few minutes out and take care of yourself. So stretching or meeting up with a colleague um, for five minutes, because really if we're not taking care of ourselves, we can't give our best patient care. That's words to live by. Thank you for that. On that same topic, I know you're a strong advocate for physician wellness, as is evidenced by what you were just saying. So, um, and and I know that burnout is is a big problem, not only just in radiology, but across medicine right now, especially in this post-COVID world. So I didn't know if you could uh, elaborate a little more on um, ideas or or tips that you might have uh, uh, touching on that subject. Yeah. Um, Chris, you know, the physician burnout is real and the rates are really alarming. And unfortunately, radiology high ranks highly among specialties in physician burnout. I think there's a variety of different reasons that we really have to address and think about on a day-to-day, um, day-to-day to really be able to fix these things. So, you know, long hours, um, work uh, staffing shortages, which are nationwide, um, and, and you know, just work-life imbalances. So we really have to figure out a way to foster our work-life balances so we can, we can correct all of these. One of the things that's actually unique to radiologists is social isolation. So again, 
we saw this in COVID, we see it daily in the radiology reading room. There's so many days you could just go in and sit by yourself and not talk to anyone else. But the research really shows that creating a collegial team environment can really help reduce physician work burnout. So that's one of the things I think that's really important as radiologists that we do have a team. Um, it might not be in the exact stereotypical sense as maybe a primary care office does, but you have your technologist and your front desk staff um, and your um, uh, uh, physician assistants that can really, really help you day to day. And if you involve them in wellness, you can really, really help promote a team approach and um, a happy team really decreases physician burnout too. So some of the examples we've done is um, we actually do 15 minute walks together three times a week. So we've been known to do squat challenges in our hallway. Um, so we do things that, that really foster a team environment and you get a lot of laughs out of it too. And better yet, for me, I always have a to-do list. I can check that workout off of my to-do list because I've done it during the day. So I think, uh, you know, overall physician and team wellness really leads to better patient care. Excellent. Well, I didn't want our discussion to end before mentioning the ACR appropriateness criteria of patient-friendly summaries. Um, they're a great resource, and some of them are mm -hmm. actually devoted to breast imaging and other related studies. Um, so for those in the audience who may not be familiar with them, can you please tell us a little bit about what the summaries are and how they relate to breast imaging? Yeah, so the ACR appropriateness criteria are guidelines that are created by experts to guide radiologists and other physicians on when and what studies to order in specific medical scenarios. Um, I use this throughout my entire training. I still use it all the time. It's an incredible resource for radiologists and all physicians really um, to know. So an example would be, you know, a 25-year-old patient comes in with a palpable abnormality in their breast, what imaging tool do we start with? So that's something you can easily go look up if you're unsure, um, and, and it's just great guidelines for all physicians to follow. Um, over the past few years, the patient-friendly summaries have been turned uh, have been created, which are turning these ACR appropriateness criteria into terms that patients can understand. And again, just trying to empower and educate patients to be their own advocate. Um, a subcommittee of the PFCC that you had referenced earlier, the Patient Engagement Committee, are working on turning these patient-friendly summaries into animations. And these animations are really fun, easy, informative, um, short videos that patients can watch in order to get actively involved in their care. And Chris, I can give you, there's a YouTube channel for those that I can give to you later. Yes. But again, just overall trying to really promote um, patient advocacy and, and patients being their own advocates so they can um, help make their own decisions and share decision-making. Excellent. Yeah. And like you said, we'll go ahead and as soon as those are available, we'll, we'll link to them in the show notes today, right. along with right. hopefully some other resources for our listening audience and our watching audience. Um, well, awesome. Dr. Bollet, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. And I think this, what we talked about today will really uh, draw a lot of attention to breast uh, cancer and breast cancer screening during October, hopefully, especially. Um, so for our viewers, if you have any ideas for future show topics, I wanted to ask you to please let us know on Twitter uh, and please use at radiology ACR as your handle and use the hashtag, hashtag ACR Bulletin Podcast. I guess we should start calling it X instead of Twitter, but I'm uh, I'm in the past, living in the past here. I also invite you to check out all of our past episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and also please be sure to subscribe to ACR's YouTube channel uh, to see our latest episodes. And please do hit that like button if you found this video valuable today. Thanks again, Dr. Bole. We really appreciate you having, here today, having you here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Chris, it is October coming up, but remember every month is a breast cancer awareness. Month. I love that. So That's a great note there, to end on. You know, if you're due, don't wait to October. Every month is breast cancer awareness month. That's Thank great. you so much for having me. It was
Absolutely. Thank you. And what a, what a nice note to end on. And, th- and thank you so much to our listeners. This has been the ACR Bulletin Podcast. See you next time.